are finishing a five-week series on generosity, and today we're going to talk about some generosity foundations. Now, we may have alluded to these things before because they are, after all, foundations. You might think, well, why didn't we start with the foundations? Well, one of the reasons we end with this is because we want you to remember this above, these things above everything else. And so we're going to take a look at some foundational principles of being a, a generous person. And as we've said throughout this series, we preach this uh, group of sermons Excuse me, not because we want something from you, but because we want something for you. And that is absolutely true. Uh, and so today, let's look at our uh, series key passage again. By the way, if you want to follow along on the notes, they are on the uh, app. If you just go to the Sunday morning page, and then you'll see sermon notes, and you can just type those in and fill them in. By the way, a cool thing is that you can actually email those to yourself down at the bottom when they're through. You can either collect those in your email, or after you email them to yourself, they are saved in the app. So you can actually go back and look at all of your sermon notes in the app anytime you want to. All right, so let's talk about this particular Sermon Generosity Foundations, and let's look at our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Here's what we've seen. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. We've talked in this series about how this reaping and sowing principle works, and it's consistent throughout the Bible. It's not as some of our television evangelists would tell us, that it's dollar for dollar. You give God a dollar, he returns two. You give him 100, he returns 200. It's not that way. Don't get the miracle spring water that comes on TV at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's a waste of your money and your time. All right? But there is a principle of God seeing people who are faithful with little and saying, now I can entrust more to you. That principle is consistent. It's not a matter of how do I, how do I become rich I'll give and then God will have to give me more. That kind of attitude is nowhere in the scriptures. But the attitude of I'm going to be faithful to what God has given me and now he finds a way to trust me with more is in the scripture. And so we see that in this sowing and reaping idea. We also talked about how our heart should guide our giving. In this passage, we see that we shouldn't give reluctantly. We shouldn't give with our arms behind our back and, and told you have to give. We should give out of a heart that's grateful. We're not bound to the Old Testament law of tithing. And we even saw from God's word in week three, and if you want to go back and listen to that sermon, you can get that on your app or on the website. We, see, we saw that 10% tithe was never even an Old Testament principle that's taught in a lot of Bible-believing churches. The Jews regularly gave a 10% national tithe a 10% festival tithe, and a 10% benevolence tithe every third year, which means that annually they gave 23 and a third percent of all their money to the government, the theocracy of the nation of Israel, and for the festivals that they participated in. Okay, In the New Testament, we're not bound to a specific percentage by law. We are to give what our heart leads us to give according to grace. Now, if your immediate thought is, yay, I can give less, okay, that's the wrong thinking. It's the wrong thinking. The reality is, so I give 23 and a third percent to get law that I can't live up to? That stinks. Oh, wait, I have grace. 
our immediate thing should be, I can give more. That's awesome. Now, we may not be able to, I don't know, I can't today, you know, give 25%. Uh, I'm not in that position. I want to work to that position. But the reality is, folks, our hearts should lead us to give more, not less, if our hearts are tuned in to the right things. We talked about the giving process and how here at Fellowship of Grace, we don't expect anybody to go from zero uh, to deeply mature Christian, uh, unbeliever to mature Christian in a week. There's a discipleship process that takes place. There is growth that takes place. And so wherever you're at on this giving continuum, we want to encourage you to just continue to grow, to keep uh, taking your next step. Listen, if you don't give at all, begin being a giver. Give what's left in your pocket. Do, do something. Move towards that. If you're a beginning giver and that's kind of what you do, you give your leftovers every week, stop giving your leftovers. Start giving something consistent. Be, be uh, uh, specific about that. Be proportional to your income. Be consistent and just grow in that process. You can work yourself up to be, being a tithing giver. When we talk about tithing here as a New Testament thing, it's not according to the law. It's just simply saying, hey, working your way up to a 10%, probably everybody in this culture should be able to do that. Okay, and then we go move to an expanding giver. That's somebody who, who says, I'm going to give more than just this percentage, whatever this percentage is. I want to be able to give more as God leads me. I want to be able to uh, do more for missions. I want to do more for people in need. I want to do more, and I'm going to position myself to be able to do more and be a gen- more generous person. Now, we should eventually uh, try to work our way to becoming an extravagant giver. Now, an extravagant giver is basically somebody who has uh, positioned their life in a way that they already know that everything they have is God's, and, and they're managing God's stuff. And they've positioned themselves to virtually always be in a position to help somebody. So you hear that a missionary, uh, missionary's van went kaput, and there's people not being able to get to church. You can drop five grand and buy them a new van. You see somebody in need along the side of the road or, or you, you have a family that you know that's in need. Maybe they have a house fire. You can drop a thousand bucks on them and just help them through that time. Listen, I, I, I'm not at that place yet. Julie and I are not, I'm just be really honest with you. Julie and I are not at the place where we're extravagant givers yet. We're trying to work our way up to that. We're trying to make decisions in our life and work our way to the position that we can be extravagant givers. Uh, by the way, we're not at the beginning either, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> We're, way, we're, we're down the process quite a ways, but I want to keep growing. I want to keep growing in my generosity. I want to position us in a place where we can really be led by God, God's word and God's spirit, to, to just use our finances for his kingdom, for, for influence on the kingdom. And so that's what we want to talk about doing. So, so I want to encourage you, as you talk through this process or as you listen to the rest of the sermon today, if you're not giving at all, don't feel like you have to you know, jump to number, you know, extravagant giver. Just move forward. Listen, God is interested in progress, not perfection. None of us can live up to perfection, but he is, but he does want us to to make progress. So this is a way that we've kind of set that up to let you kind of see that visually. So let's finish the series talking about our hearts and how our hearts should be guided. First, we see that remembering what Christ has done for us should grow our generosity. Look, the reality is, when we look at what Christ has done for us, we should probably err on the side of giving too much rather than too little. Now, what does that mean? What's too much, what's too little? Listen, 
if, if, if we work our place up to the place where we say, hey, Sunday, we're giving this, we give it, and then we realize that by Thursday, we don't have enough money to go eat out like we would like to do. Have we given too much? Maybe. But I'd rather err on that side than give, save, do the things that I need to do to be a responsible person, and get to the end of the week and have a pile of money left over and go, wow, I didn't give enough. I'm not using my money wisely. I'm not being as generous as God has blessed me to be. Listen, God has done so much for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's spend a few minutes looking at four specific things that should affect the way our hearts respond to giving, the way that our, our hearts are guided to give. And these are not all the things God has done for us, but they're four pretty big things. And the first one is this, God meets our needs. Matthew 6.33 says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now I've heard this, uh, this passage preached before that, that the things that God is adding to you are your emotional needs, your spiritual needs, all these things. But look at the passage specifically. Go back and read Matthew chapter 6. It's talking about cash. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. And what God is saying is, listen, if you'll put one thing first, my kingdom and your righteousness. If you put those one thing first, and we've talked before about that's one thing, all it's two things, it's really one thing. Okay? If you'll do those things first, God will provide your physical needs. Now, in that passage, Jesus is very specific. He says, hey, he says, listen, you don't think so? You don't think God will do that for you? Look at the birds. When's the last time you saw a bird time in? They don't have jobs. They don't work. They don't time in and out. They don't do anything, and yet God feeds them, doesn't he? Don't you think you're more important to God than birds? I mean, that's so logical. That's so smart. And folks, listen, God is going to meet your physical needs if you'll make these things first. But God's met our needs anyway, hasn't he? Now, I'm not making judgments, but let me just say as a kind of a blanket statement, there probably aren't too many people in this room that are at the place of starving to death. You all have clothes, thank you. Okay, God's meeting our needs, folks. God is meeting our needs. And by the way, if you're like me, he's done way, way, way more than just meet my needs. He doesn't provide all of our wants all the time, because occasionally he does that to bless us. But he doesn't do that on a regular basis. But for those who put his kingdom and his righteousness first, they're guaranteed to have their needs met by God. That's what that scripture says. So God meets our needs. Also, he's forgiven our sins. Look at 1 John 1, 9. Scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. Look, if there was some kind of a big giant scale in the sky that that measured God blessing us and us blessing him, this alone, without any additional blessing of any kind, is enough to tip the scale for the rest of our lives. 
Think about it. If there was one of those big scales in the sky and, and God says, I'll forgive your sins. You put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to die for your sins and I will blot them out. Boom. I do a million things and the scale doesn't move. Folks, I don't know about you, but when I think about God forgiving my sins, maybe your sins aren't as big as mine. It's perhaps true. But when I think about my sins being forgiven, I am blown away that God would even consider doing that. To know that he has done that is amazing to me. It's amazing. Christ made a way for our sins to be forgiven. And so that's something we can never give enough to make a difference on. We can't, can't ever move the scales on. We are indebted forever because of this one fact. But let's go on. He's not only forgiven our sins and meets our needs, he's given us eternal life. He's given us eternal life. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better. John 3, 36 says this, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Look carefully at the tense of this passage. It doesn't say whoever believes in the son will get eternal life. For the person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus to forgive their sins, their eternal life does not start in the future. I'm not going to live the rest of my earthly life and on my last day I take my last breath and my eternal life begins. It's not what it says. It says, listen, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have eternal life. It's already a possession. My eternal life started when I was 12 years old and I gave my life to Jesus. So I'm just going along with my eternal life already in place. I get to my last day, breathe my last, close my eyes, and I just keep going right on. Now, there'll certainly be some changes. But my eternal life doesn't start in the future. It's already begun, and so has yours, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you realize you're a sinner and you can't forgive your own sins, you can't do anything to blot them out, and you've put your faith and trust in what he did on the cross to pay for them, if you've done that, you already have eternal life. It's not something that starts in the future. It's already begun. Last, I want you to see that out of these four big things, he has plans for my future. He has plans for my future. Now, for those of you who know me, you know that I have kind of a visionary mind. I, I have a good imagination. You know, I can think of things that aren't yet and come up with some really crazy things and come up with some gold nuggets every once in a while. But listen, God has a plan. For, but think about that as you listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So what that verse is saying is this. Listen, you ha nobody has seen your future. You haven't heard anything as good as what God has planned. And by the way, if you take the rest of the day, you go home and you stare at a whiteboard and just imagine all the rest of the afternoon, you can't even come up with something that's going to touch what God has planned for your life. Now, for some of you who don't have very good imaginations, that's not a much of a big deal. But for me, I'm like, really? Wow, God, that's pretty cool. And by the way, 
Had you asked me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, could I have ever possibly imagined where my life is and how blessed my life is, I would tell you, no, I couldn't. I couldn't see it. I couldn't tell you about it. I couldn't draw it on a whiteboard. God just blessed me tremendously. Why wouldn't I think he would continue the process? Listen, folks, God is for us. He's not against us. He has plans for our future, and he can be trusted. He can be trusted. I shared the gospel with a young lady this week, and we got to the end, and I I drew out the gospel like I do a lot of times on paper and kind of showed her a picture, and, and she just wept through the time I was sharing the gospel with her. And, and I said, what, what is going on? And she said, I, I just can't trust God. I, I just can't trust God. Now we're going to continue to have some conversations about that. But it all came down to that. Folks, listen, God is for you. God is for you. He has great plans for you if you will just trust him and put your lives in his hands. But when we see all of these things, how could we not respond with more generosity? How can we respond by wanting to hang on harder to everything we've got? Man, I don't want to hang on harder. I want to give more. I want to become more generous. I want to, I want to respond to what he's done. I know it's not going to measure out somehow. It's not going to even out. I don't know how many silly notions about that. But I still appreciate what he's done for me. I still am incredibly indebted. And I give with a joyful heart in appreciation for everything God has done. And we want you to give that same way. Number two, generosity is not just about your money. Generosity is not just about your money. I'm more and more amazed all the time that there's this attitude of silo giving uh, that's growing in the American church culture. Now, if you've never heard of silo giving, uh, that doesn't surprise me because I made that term up. Okay, silo giving is the idea that we see our life in different silos and we decide which silo to be generous in. For instance, I I give of my time, therefore I don't have to be generous with my money. Or I'm generous with my money, so I don't have to be generous with my talents and my abilities. I'll just be, if I can just be generous in one place, surely that's all God would want from me, right? Well, let's take a look. Let's take a look. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Now, folks, we all think and feel and live like we got all the time in the world. There's all the time in the world to be generous later. There's all the time in the world to share the gospel with my family later. There's all the time in the world to share the gospel with my friends and neighbors. There's all the time in the world to share the gospel with these families that God has put in our upward sports. There's all the time in the world to do all those things later. This passage is saying, no, there isn't, folks. There's not all the time in the world. Our time is limited. And by the way, as I get closer and closer to the finish line, man, I am getting that more and more all the time. Our time on this planet is limited. 
The time God has given us to minister to others is limited. The time God has given us to share the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ with others is limited. We better live and buy back that time. Like we're, listen, I've wasted a lot of time in my life. I don't want to keep doing that. I want to make the best use of the time. Yes, we need to relax sometimes. Yes, our body needs to rest. I get it all. We can't go 24 hours a day. Totally understand it. But I think in our society, we waste a lot of time. And uh, we need to be generous and principled with our time, just like we are with our money. Just like our money is not ours, folks. Uh, God owns it. He also owns our time. And it's not ours. It's his to declare how much time we have left. We better make the most of it. And so it's important that we be generous with our time. Now listen, that doesn't mean, let's just talk about being practical for a minute. That doesn't mean that every time the church has an event or every time the church doors are open or every time something's going on, you absolutely got to be here or feel guilty about it. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you can't coach uh, an upward sports team or come and cheer on some kids that don't know Jesus because you just aren't a morning person, you need to become a morning person. Okay? If, if you, uh, you know, well, listen, I, you know, my bowling league's on Saturday. I can't possibly ever come and do anything. Listen, find another bowling league. Quit bowling. Okay? There's not going to be any bowling trophies in heaven, just so you know. Folks, we just need to think this way, okay? It doesn't mean, and again, don't swing the pendulum and be crazy on this. It doesn't mean we can't do fun things or spend some time, you know, just enjoying ourselves. But we need to be careful about wasting too much time and really have no investment in time when it comes to facing Jesus. Look at 1 Peter 4, 10, 11. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this is just one of many passages that we see that God has entrusted us with specific gifts to encourage and build up the body of Christ. Our talents and our abilities and our spiritual gifts are given to us by God and he wants to use them in order to accomplish his will and his purpose, both in us and through us. So here we see at least two other ways that God has entrusted something to us and he wants us to be generous. He wants us to be generous with our time. He wants us to be generous with our gifts and abilities. He wants us to be generous with our money. We've seen that through this whole series. This siloing belief that, listen, if, I, if I'm doing children's ministries every week, that somehow alleviates me from ever being generous with my money. I don't know where that got started. I don't know. I, I hear these terms, oh, I'm tithing my time. Really? You mean 10% of your time? How, how do you even figure that? I mean, does your, does your sleeping time count or is it 2.4 hours a day? How do you, what does that mean even? Okay, listen, folks, when we understand what God has done for us, what we're saying here is, listen, generosity just should, should come out of us. I want to be generous with my time to the kingdom of God. I want to be generous with my time and abilities, whatever God has given me to the kingdom of God. I want to be generous with my finances to the kingdom of God because I am compelled 
by joy, by appreciation to do that. And it's not just about your money. Lastly, we see that at the core of generosity is selflessness. There's really no way around this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7 says this. Let each of you not look, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So our example is, here is Jesus, who, who reigned with God in heaven, who was not forced by any means to limit himself and take on human form, but he emptied himself. He said, I'm going to empty what is my right and I'm going to put on flesh and go to the planet and give myself as a ransom for many. And what this verse is saying is, listen, let this mind be in you also. The bottom line is this. If we're going to give according to our hearts, the more our heart is turned selfish, and the more it's turned inward on ourselves, the more we're going to hang on to all of our finances with a clenched fist and a clenched teeth. And we're going to kind of live, even though we would never say this in our conscious mind, we're going to kind of live like, okay, God, just try to pry it out of my hand. But listen, the more our hearts are turned selfless, the more our hearts are turned toward God and toward others, the more we're going to live with an open hand and say, God, everything I have is yours. You need me to use it here? I'll use it here. You need me to use it here? I'll use it here. You need me to be more generous here? I'll be more generous here. And we live a whole different way of life. We want all of us to grow in generosity. We want our church to be known, known for its selflessness, not our selfishness. From a practical sense, we want to minister to more people locally and globally. Pastor John did a great job last week when he was sharing about all the ways that giving here at Fellowship of Grace travels all over the world. We sponsor over 5,000 missionaries across the world. People that are in places that we couldn't get to, that we can't go to, and are sharing the gospel with families who don't know Jesus. We sponsor church planters in the Philippines uh, we sponsor all kinds of different things. Here at Fellowship of Grace, we've baptized over 100 people in the last 10 years because of some of your giving. You realize if people didn't give here, this church wouldn't continue to exist. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I want, I want you to do this for me, okay? I hope this isn't embarrassing. If you have received Christ by the ministry of this church or been baptized here, why don't you stand? Stand. I know you're here. Stand. Okay? Great. Thank you, guys. I'll send you an apology in the mail. <laughs> Shouldn't be embarrassed about that. Listen. Some of these people have been reached. Some of these people have been reached because others of you have been faithful givers. And you know what? There are people over there at Risk Lake there are people over here in this 
subdivision behind the church. There are people across the street. There are kids that go to the elementary school over here. There are people on this side of Highway 9 that are waiting, waiting to hear that God loves them before something tragic happens to them. And your giving helps this church's ministry continue as we reach people. It's time to decide. We have, this is the first uh, generosity series that we've preached in 12 years of the existence of this church. I don't guarantee it'll be 12 years before the next one, but it's going to be a while. It's time right now, folks, to decide, are you going to be a hose or are you going to be a sponge? Are you going to be a hose where God's blessing travels through you? God blesses you and then you continue to pass that blessing on? You're a conduit of God's blessing to others? Or are you going to be a sponge, just soaking up God's blessing until you simply can't hold anymore? You know, I tried to figure out how to bring my, I got one of those new hoses that's really cool, you know, because you, you hook it up and it's just this little ball of whatever thing, and you turn it on and it just, it expands. And it like, it's like one of those, uh, it's like those little snakes you had when you was a kid on 4th of July, you know, they just keep going. And then when you turn the water off, they just slither all back up into this little ball. It's really a cool deal. I was trying to figure out a way to put one of those up here. But I think somebody invented that just for a sermon uh, uh, example, honestly. Because here's the thing. Think about that. When you hook up that hose to God's blessing, he begins to bless you. Your capacity to bless others increases. God gives you more. You're able to hold more. You're able to do more. But if you stop blessing others, if you stop being generous, guess what happens? The blessings turn off and you just shrivel and die. I hope this series changes the way that you give. Generosity, folks, is a privilege, not a burden. You know, it's interesting. We talk about how God has created everything and we think about the physical world, but God himself decided to create a way where mankind could respond to his generosity by being generous. Have you thought about that? You know, God could have created the world with just him being generous to all of us and we don't have any way to be generous. We just keep it all. But he didn't do that. He said, I'm going to create man in my own image. Part of my image is being generous. So God was generous to us. He said, am I creating you in that image? I'm going to give you the opportunity to be generous too. And when we are generous with not only our finances, but our time and our talents and everything else, when we are generous, we are showing the character of God because he is generous. I pray that this series will have put some thoughts in your mind to take some next steps and to grow in your generosity and see God really bless your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your spirit that guide us and teach us. Father, we're thankful for your word that so clearly spells out what you want from us. God, help us. Help us to grow in our generosity. Help us to reflect on who you are to us and what you have done for us. Help that to motivate us to become more like you by being generous to others. God, use this church and this community in a giant way Father, we know that there are 300,000 people in Clay and Platte counties who don't know you. 
God, we have a big task, but we believe you're a big God and you can help us to reach them. Father, use this church, use our generosity to show your love to others and see them come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.